here we go. Spring of 2020. This is the 1080 Outdoors Podcast Land Management Series, where our main focus is pursuing the truth for everyday hunters like you. I wouldn't say it's kind of an FU, it's definitely an FU. Chronicle and document how our season's going and give you real-time updates, overall land management practices. You have to find a way to hunt big buck where they are. Welcome to the 1080 Outdoors podcast, episode 34, with special guests Billy Kellogg and common guest Jed Domke. What's up? Uh, we're talking deer hunting, land management. It's spring. It's still on our mind. Possibly not Jed's, but it's on Billy's and I's. Um, before we get into that, Billy and Jed share a common interest. Billy, uh, if you listen to the last podcast, whacked, whacked, whacked a turkey with his longbow. Um, so I'll let you guys kind of take it away on the longbow stuff. Jed, what kind of, uh, I guess, explain your setup. Kind of what you were just talking about before we pressed okay. record. So um, I'm shooting a... Oh, what is it? A 54 pound longbow. It's 54 at 28, which is about what I draw, maybe a shade less. But we were talking about arrow setups. And um, so I've been shooting um, carbon arrows. Uh, what are they? Carbon Express Heritage Series, which is, uh, which are, it's like a traditional bow series. So they're, they're spined a little different. I shoot the 150s and then I, have an 80 grain brass insert and I shoot um, 200 grain tips and I was explaining to Billy that um, basically you have to match your your uh, the weight on your tip to the arrow and every bow shoots it shoots everything different so um, I ordered a, a like a starter pack of field tips um, that come with I think it was everything from a hundred grains up to three hundred grains and you just kind of tinker with it until you find what your bowl shoots best on that arrow and then just roll with that and mine just so happened to be 200 grains so that's what I've been rocking yeah and what do you what, what did you shoot uh, the one I shot the turkey with today was just a 75 grain Magnus buzz cut but this is all stuff I'm still learning too so I like and Jed's uh, input on that. The main question is, are you going to carry that in the Ooh, woods this fall? I don't know. I really want to today, really. Shooting that bird opened up a niche for me, and I hate that. <laughs> because now I really want to carry yeah, just, that thing. I mean, here, here's my, um, my advice is, if you're going to do it, Dive head first into it and yeah. don't even pick up a compound. Like, That's just, you, it looks like you just can't take it with you because I've taken yeah. that longbow with me and I've also taken like a shotgun as backup. And when a bird comes in, I always like, mm, mm, right. this yep. shotgun. Yep, you just like, you have to commit, commit to it. Yeah. Because like when I first got it, I was doing the whole flopping back and forth thing. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that I shot worse with both of them if I was trying to shoot both of them. So I was just like, well, you know what? I really want to use this. It's a lot of fun. I'm just going to forget about this compound. And that was three years ago, and I haven't picked it up since. Well, you not still... to mention, when you started shooting it, <clears throat> or you started shooting a longbow, you were off on your compound. It affected you because you didn't shoot your compound forever, and then you, and we think that's what caused the Nebraska mishap. Well, one of them. 
Yeah, because I because I spent because he cocked the goddamn compound like a longbow, the first shot. Yeah, right. Because I was I canned the bow just like you know because I was used to shooting that yeah that re, or that longbow all winter, and then yeah, so that's that's when I decided no sure, more no no more double dipping like it's gonna be one or the other. And I made the commitment to the longbow and. So far, it's paid off. Quite the quite the accomplishment, by the way, that you just picked it up and killed something today. Well, yeah. Every blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. Just full of one-liners. <laughs> yeah, he, he likes that. It's, uh, I don't just know. And I shot a lot last fall because yeah. when I tagged out last fall bow hunting, I'm like, I'm going to take this longbow out and kill a doe. I never got the yep. opportunity. But do you change like your setup for, like, do you still hunt in a tree stand? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Fine. The only sketchy one is in a blind. Yeah, it's like it really it's not you. sketchy out of a tree stand for me at all. Yeah, but like out of a blind is terrible. Oh, I me. felt just terrible today because yeah, you're concerned about everything. Like, yeah. is my bottom limb in the dirt? Is my top limb in the blind? Yeah, much Am I going to shoot the blind? Like, yeah, all of them are a very distinct yeah. possibility. The blind might have actually corrected my shitty shooting today and made me kill that bird. I don't know. Oh, honestly, that's like what I attribute the the turkey that I killed with my longbow. Um, like the first two shots I had, the window was wide open mm-hmm. at that point. And by the time he got to the, to the end, I only had a slit to shoot out of. And that really, you know, made me concentrate a whole lot better. That's, I felt. Heck yeah. Um, and a whole lot of luck came into play. It's a whole other game. That's for sure. I probably should have took a couple practice shots today, but. No, I don't think you should have changed anything. I would practice from here on out if you're going yeah. to keep doing it. <laughs> I would suggest that, but like, yeah. I don't think I would look back on today and be like, well, I should have no. done this or I should have done that. No, I was used to shoot, and I'm, I'm used to picking it up every once in a while, just flinging a couple of arrows yeah. outside having a beer. That's the nice thing about them is they're just so, you don't got to like bring your case out, set your shit down. Right. Like it's just, you. I'd watch you just literally pick it up, shoot three arrows, set it back down, and like two minutes were gone. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. Hmm. So, yeah, dude, and like if you start carrying that thing you're really not going to want to carry a compound because my my bow with a quiver with six arrows um weighs less than a bear compound bow yeah it feels like you're carrying a feather with it yeah i mean there's nothing and it balances out so nice because it's so damn long you're not compacting all that weight into a 30 not to mention if you're bow hunting too in the fall like you can take the string down and carry it like on your back. Do you ever do that, or do you always have the string tight? No, I always have it strong. <clears throat> but like, it's so freaking light. It's so light. So you just you don't even notice it. Yeah. And they're, they're kind of like, do you look at them as they're fragile? I seem like I don't. It seem like you just like toss them. Yeah, everywhere. I, I, like I'm not gonna knock off. Like you could tie them to your bag, like whatever. Yeah. Yep. Like I like if I'm shooting a 3D course and I have a terrible shot and I'm really mad about it, I just huck my bow. Yeah. Like it's probably not great for it, but like <laughs> yeah, knocking off the sights. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It's just a piece of wood and string. Right. Yeah, I, I guess the worst gonna... could happen is you snap a string. Right. Or crack a limb or whatever. Yeah. But... Yeah. yeah. You're not gonna tweak the arrow rest or anything. No. Else, so. No. Right. The old sight pins aren't gonna be moved around. No. That's awesome. I don't know. It's like just more talking to you guys about it. It's like I got to pick that thing up this fall and try it. But it just depends on so what deer I, I'm hunting. I, see, you said before that you think it's going to be like you're missing one. I think it's going to be one skirting at 30. Yeah. 
where normally you'd, it would be done deal with a compound, and now it's you're second guessing yourself. I mean, it's, I mean, would you even take a shot at a deer at thirty, Jed? Yeah, you would. <laughs> yeah. Where's your cutoff? Thirty. It's so situational dependent. the The main problem is the arc of the arrow at thirty. Like hunting the woods around here. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's tough yeah. to get a thirty yard shot with a bow like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, you know, dead center in a field. Nothing in between. Yeah, yet. probably 30, 35. Mm-hmm. I hate shooting any further than that with a compound. Uh, yeah. yeah. Don't like it. No. Sometimes. But you got, I mean, your your wheelhouse is 10, like, with that. Yeah. Whereas oh, yeah. your wheelhouse I, with compounds like, 25. Like, I feel real good about it, 20. Yeah. Oh, that's today. Ryan knew I was getting ready to let that arrow fly. If I miss this, I'm just going to break this thing over my knee and... Throw this blind in the ditch and go home because you know <laughs> I would have felt like I didn't even deserve to be there. No, <laughs> don't like don't don't feel like that because you, like if you're carrying that thing, you're going to miss things. Yeah, like it's going to happen. Yeah, I just it's, it felt so sure because you shoot a couple turkeys with a compound and a bunch of shotgun. It's like this is done deal. What's your what's your response to people who would question uh, like hunting morality because you do have uh, lesser shots sometimes. Yeah, I mean, my my argument is it's really hard to um, police ethics. You know what I mean? Like, for example, people are going to push the limit of whatever weapon they have in their hand, mm-hmm. and it's not it, like it's not confined to just a primitive weapon, like. Yeah, people with compounds shoot at 70 yards right. all the time. People with yeah. rifles shoot at 800 yards. Like, yep. If if you're confident in that and you're qualified and you're capable, by all means do it. You know, but like if if you're not, probably don't. And if you want to attack me for shooting things with a longbow and I could shoot them with a, with a compound or a crossbow or a rifle or a shotgun, well... Go for it. Well, let's be honest. The same person who's complaining about you using a longbow, which I don't, I don't, we haven't got like a bunch of complaints or anything, um, would be the same person who would criticize a a crossbow. Probably. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the old master compounder is Mm -hmm. the master hunter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because technology doesn't, you know, help Mm -hmm. the, um, I don't know. I don't want to get into that, but yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yep. Um, so. Shift our focus to deer hunting a little bit. We got Mr. Kellogg here. Who, Billy, why don't you explain your business a little bit? Uh, I started my business probably, I don't know, it's probably been four or five years ago now. Came from a background similar to you, working in law enforcement yeah. and bailed out of there, started the business, and now we do uh, custom brush mulching, brush hogging. And a variety of some food plot stuff, but right now the uh, brush mulching and land management stuff is getting hard for us to keep up with doing mm-hmm. food plot stuff. So, but working with landowners, going over some land management tips that'll help them be a little more successful and maybe harvesting next year they're looking for. So yeah, anyone's listening to this that if we were ever brought in to do some consult and it needed some uh, bigger machinery. Um, Billy would be the guy that would would uh, follow through on that. That's where we would we would head uh, 
have, you know, ponds made, hill roads mm-hmm. cleaned up. Um, I guess what are the main things that you... The brush mulching stuff is getting so crazy for us right now. It just seems like there's tons of invasives out there that we're yep. helping landowners handle. And nice thing with that brush forestry head is you can really start funneling deer with that thing. Mm-hmm. So if you got a place that's so thick that it's just one giant bedding area that you can't even walk through, you can take that mulcher through there and do a six-foot pass through there and kind of make deer work to your advantage to your tree stand area. Yeah, so that, and that's that's right in line with a lot of what we talk about. We, you know, our number one practice is get rid of the invasives, figure out what's native, and, and bring them back, and then really just clean up your woods. Like, let's get the sunlight down to the ground. Like we we we're surrounded by so much mature woods mm-hmm. that really is not productive to a deer's habitat. Besides, hopefully a good acorn drop here and there. Bingo. Um, so what have you seen? What's what's like the big invasive issues? Uh, I I, I kind of know, but. What are you seeing all the time? A lot of the stuff we're handling right now is your, you know, farmers been dealing with for the last 20 years. Here's your prickly ash, your mm-hmm. uh flower rose, and the newest one we're handling, which seems to be overtaking both of them right now, is autumn olive or Russian olive. And it's just explodes. It's a very fast-growing invasive. Let's show, show them a picture of the honeysuckle. Well, we assume yeah, there's honeysuckle. honeysuckle, too. So that's and what do you what's your take on that? I mean, it's an invasive. It's gotta go. I mean, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. It just depends. It's really not good for anything, but. God, we found a pile of beds in it. That's nice to have. I mean, if, if you can find that happy medium, you know, you, you hate to go in and get rid of everything you got. Yeah. You know, obviously they're invasives and it's not the best thing, but deer like that stuff. You know, if you can keep partial areas of that, keep thick areas for deer to hide in, deer to bed in. Just figure out your pinch points coming in and out of there. That's where they're going to be. Yeah, and you would you agree that uh, just in general, <clears throat> the easiest way to create those pockets and the easiest way to create that bedding and structure is uh, by just getting sunlight to the floor. Yeah, yeah. If you got, I mean, that's that's what that's kind of what we've been preaching. Yeah. If you um, have a tree canopy, you're not going to have anything. Yeah. Well, they're not living in there. No. Yeah. No. You know, five and a half, six and a half year old bucks not hanging out in a no. tree canopy forest where it's open woods. But people might people get you know confused too. They they're not hanging out where uh, <clears throat> you know they're not hanging out in in those multi floor rows or they're not hanging out in that. I mean, multi floor mm-hmm. rows are just pointless. It's just thick. Yeah. There's no food in there. Um, it's nasty stuff. If you can get a good mix of everything, you know, I, I hate to say a good mix because you wouldn't think multi floor rows would be contained in a good mix, but if you can get Multi-flower rose cedar trees, autumn olive. Yeah. yeah it's, you hate to see it because it is an invasive, but if you have it and it's the right mix and it's holding deer, then, you know, like yep. you said, your honeysuckle, you're finding a ton of beds in there. But it's, you got to hold them. Like this place I shot the buck with my bow last year, it's a 40-acre pocket. It's on the bottom side of a pond dam. Let's get, in, let's get into that in a minute. Yeah. We actually have a phoned-in question coming in from... The Jeff Rosh. Okay. Is this Jeff? Hey, this is Jeff. Hey, thanks for calling in, Jeff. What's your uh, What's your question tonight? Well, first of all, I want to start off by saying, long time listener, first time caller. Um, glad to be on the uh, show here. Uh, my question is, um, what is the ideal spring food plot choice? To get my white-tailed deer ready um, for nutrition, to help grow the antlers strong, and to uh, really optimize the um, 
the herd I have on my land. Damn. What a question. Um, You're going to hang up and listen? <laughs> yeah, hang up, and, hang up and listen in a week. <laughs> hey, man. We, oh, he actually hung up. He actually hung up. Um, so the question was, number one spring food source. So, the, I mean, the factors that come into spring food plots, obviously, we're, we're looking at, at does that are in the most important time for nutrition. I mean... They're having babies. Uh, fawns are being born. They need nutrition. Um, Billy, do you have something off the top of your head? I'm a big clover chicory guy. Yeah. You know, it's just I, I start looking around here, and you start looking at all the farmers with their plant, and it's just corn, soybeans, corn, soybeans. You know, we're starting to get a little more hay here around now, yep. but I look for what people don't have around my property, and that's usually what I'll start throwing in, and clover and chicory is a great source. You're looking at a three to four year food plot perennial. You may have to keep it mowed down a little bit and a little maintenance, but that's where a lot of them deer are going to be looking for that additional food source. Yeah, and I, I'm actually running into this right now on the property that we just bought. And uh, <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out a layer, ten acres of a, uh, of a uh, clover, and I'm actually going to let that grow up through May and June. So it's going to be it's, you're going to have successional growth growth um probably have some ragweed in there probably have some uh um milkweed milk milk well milkweed and uh goldenrod and 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 most people would tell you that goldenrod and you know all that those are weeds but goldenrod is some of the highest crude protein of of anything you can plant it competes honestly with uh soybeans which Mm -hmm. is crazy um and i mean that's what i'm doing to create a bedding slash food area and the idea is number one to support um those does that are are just about to you know i mean i guess i mean they might i don't know when are they when do you think that they're giving birth right now in the next month or two month month so yeah you know you're gonna have that early early clover growth coming up you could see them popping i guess you do see fawns during turkey season later seasons yeah i would say by fourth season you'll probably start to see a few yeah at the early end of things yeah um that high nutrient because corn isn't giving them anything yet they won't give them anything in the spring um soybeans might give you some but uh my my philosophy on that is just going to be to create that um new successional growth put clover in there as a base and let everything let the weeds grow up and we'll We'll take note of what weeds are in there. If there's invasives, um, some shitty weeds in there, we'll take them out. Um, but I will keep like goldenrod and mm-hmm. and uh, and possibly mow certain sections, little pockets to create structure. Um, probably not. I, I probably won't mow until like September. Just yeah. those pockets too. Like I'll probably let that clover like base field just go wild. Create. I, I want. I'd like to see you know four or five foot growth in there. Mm-hmm. And that's going to help your turkeys, too. Yeah, your turkeys are milling that. Strut zone. That was a good question from Jeffrey there. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, Jeff. <laughs> he literally hung up. I, I feel kind of bad. He can't even, couldn't even listen. He's going to have to wait two weeks or a week and a half. Long-time listener, first-time caller. So those, oh, God. He's been, waiting, been waiting for that for so long. Um, So... What were, what were we talking about right before Jeff called? 
you're kind of getting into something. Oh yeah, you're, yeah. Let's let's oh, let's yeah. kind of dive in first. <clears throat> take this. All right. So, what are the key things that you add to properties to improve them? I guess for me, it takes just looking at the property and where that landowner is at. And looking at the other landowners next to him, I hate to say that because yeah. it kind of well, it, yeah, it's kind of sounds like you're scouting neighbors or something. But look well, for... here's the deal: if a neighbor all they want to do is rent their land out, let corn and beans rotate, yeah. maybe, and that's all they do. Yeah. I mean, you got to pivot off that and make adjustments from that. Yeah, I mean, if your neighbors are drilling corn on corn on corn on soybeans, yeah, you know, if you got the greens, guess where they're going to be come late October, early November. Mm-hmm. That's that's where your deer are going to be. Yeah. So what are we looking at? Um, do, you, do you, so if I guess let's use this property as an example. We got a 48, 45 acre property, 60 acre property, whatever, mm-hmm. 30 acre ag field, 20 of it's being uh, rented out into beans. Um, back 10 is going to um, be completely transitioned over into just deer habitat. Mm-hmm. Food plot wise, what's your ideal, um, series because i think it's always good to have uh um diversity so absolutely what's your what's your perfect series of, of food so as we all know like around here late october or even early october our farmers are moving in combines food yep. disappearing at a rapid pace so, i mean obviously our deer are going to be eating in these big farm fields up until they're gone and then whoever's got the food after that's over with is going to be the guy with the deer so yeah i mean if i'm looking at that i'm going to go a little more diverse and i'm going to keep that clover and chicory blend but also going to be looking at putting in some you know maybe you want to have your own plot of soybeans or something like that a forage soybean going off that angle i mean you can also look at putting in more grains you know corn stuff like that but i always like having some uh Planting corn and soybeans becomes a little more complicated. Soybeans is a seed that you can uh, broadcast over soil and drag it in. Corn gets a little harder to do that with. So I mean, yeah, I get one of the whole. Well, here's the deal. He pretty much just described pretty uh, similar to what I'm gonna do. So my plan initially right now is um, that top section that you can see from right here. So there's kind of a top flat. Um, It'll be like a three acre corn slash bean field just mm-hmm. complete destinational that's staying all winter Perfect. food source um and then uh yeah i think i'm gonna line it with some green because i think green does come in handy it's just a matter of getting the right green that stays green long mm-hmm. um but i mean fuck we we see them hit alfalfa so hard in september and early october oh, yeah. but the second that shit starts browning out you lose them yeah same with you know same with beans Deer like that alfalfa really palatable too. You notice like after a farmer comes in and cuts a field yep. and takes the hay off, like the next week the regrowth starts coming and it seems like the deer move in when that uh, alfalfa is really immature. And then when it gets super tall, it seems like they kind of move away from it. Yeah. So, I don't know. Everybody. I think it's always it's always that making making sure you ha- do everything you can. Like I, I hate how people. It's three acres. Like, I, I think a three-acre bean field will go a long ways. It well, will. especially if you go an acre and a half beans, acre and a half corn. That's a lot of food. That'll go a long ways through the winter. Mm-hmm. And the decision between renting that for 150 bucks an acre or, I mean, it's four 500 bucks I'm willing 
to not spend. Well, and then you add the cost of planting it. But that's what people, they just rent their whole field. Like you don't have to rent your whole field. You can rent 90% of it and just give yourself something of it. Give the deer yeah. something. Christ, I've watched deer out here eating in this yard before we bought it. I got to drive by every fucking night looking for deer and turkey, you know. And they were eating in the yard. But you look around here, you got a corn field that's cut. Corn stubble, corn stubble, corn stubble, corn stubble, corn stubble, corn stubble. Nothing. All winter. So. And combines aren't what they were 50 years ago. Everything's gotten super efficient. And oh, Christ. There's they, not much food left no. behind. No. So if you don't have that food, you're not going to have the deer. Yeah. Um, and I guess another big one I know you're a proponent of is, is putting those water sources, those little pockets of water. And can you yeah. kind of explain how you, how you think about it and how you do that? Yeah, just start looking at a new hunting spot or something like that and look at where your closest water is. If there's a creek nearby or if it's, you know, a mile away on your neighbor's land, yep. and then it's time to start thinking about putting a water source in near your, near your tree stand or near your travel corridor where they're coming from. And it becomes pretty easy. We just put them in and scrape out a little, little, you know, three or four buckets of dirt out of a big skid steer bucket and then line them with sodium betonite. And that usually seals them off pretty good. Hmm. You don't need much. You know, everybody hears water holes. Some guys think they need a lake yeah. in the middle of their food plot. But yeah, you know, deer aren't drinking that much. So hmm, that's what, So what's sodium? What did you say? I don't even sodium know betonite. Right. It's a product you can get at most of your co-ops around here. It once it hits with water, it reacts and kind of turns into like a slimy clay. Mm. That's what they seal wells off. Yep. With, right? Yep. Bingo. Really helps seal off the water holes because some of these guys they go out and dig water hole and all the water's disappearing into the ground and I can't can't get this thing sealed yep. up. So sodium betonite, rather cheap product. Line your water hole with that. Now you can even you don't have to dig it with a skid steer. You can use a shovel or. Yeah. I prefer a skid steer because I'm getting older. Well, you have like seven of them. A little lazier. <laughs> No, that's awesome. I think, uh, yeah, I can't wait to get going on that and putting multiple different um, that's water holes on cool here. That's a for you to play around with here. Well, it's so much open land. Yeah. You know. You I got to have food. Yeah. You have a canvas like that, and you it's just, fun. It's pretty simple. I mean, as long as you got food and the right food, you're like different things. You, know, it's, you can even relate it to humans. If you're here oh, in yeah. Baroque when you get... You get sick of eating Culver's and McDonald's for a couple of weeks. Where are you going to go? <laughs> yeah. Had to look across and get something else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's so. Do you have, um, when you're, in, when you're, we'll, we'll kind of dive back into the wood. I mean, food's important. It's amazing. Um, but you can create a lot of food in, in your timber. So say, mm -hmm. if, say this was just 40 acres of timber and maybe I only had five eggs. What's the strategy there? What have you seen? Like, why are you, are you creating these like acre pockets where you, you kind of clear cut and let the successional growth come up from the sun, um, that which generates a ton of food? Are you planting field roads? What are you doing yeah. in the woods? If you, let's say you got 40 acres that's just solid woods. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do there to help, obviously, adding a water hole. If there's not a water source there, it's going to help bring some activity to your property. But cutting down trees and doing a clear cut, is really going to do a lot of good bringing in sunlight, but not only it's going to add browse, yeah. some deer are going to start browsing on them treetops like crazy. Even doing that in the wintertime can help a deer herd. You know, they love browsing on treetops once they're cut down. But once that clear cut's done or you just take out you know, eight or ten big canopy trees, you can really go in there and till or do whatever you want or let it grow up yeah. in the bedding. Or... 
Start looking yeah, at even it. bulldoze an acre yeah. food plot and a you know a little patch like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're. <clears throat> I think the biggest thing is a woods full of hardwoods is a monoculture. It's not diversity. Mm-hmm. All right, so a woods full of of evergreen or, or pines is, is a monoculture. It's not it's not diversity. It's same thing with a giant egg field that's just beans. It's not diversity. It's monoculture, and, I, and I'm always leaning towards that just diversity, 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 mm-hmm. diversity. So if you got a giant woods of of hardwoods, well, how can you how can you cut them down or or create some type of diversity in there? Um, Those are nice yeah. places too. You can make pockets, just kill yeah. plots. You know, plot you can cover the whole plot from your tree stand. Right. I mean, obviously, it's nice to have tons of food and hold a pile of deer on your land, but when it really comes down to it with a bow, lately I've been trying to focus on just doing, you know, like an eighth acre of clover or something like that inside the woods. Yeah. Makes deer feel comfortable. They're not standing way out in the open. So I guess going into your 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 buck you shot last year, uh, explain that. You're, you you had started yeah. to kind of talk about it earlier. It's kind of a funky deal there, so. There's been this one pocket I've always wanted to hunt on this property, and this pocket is about 40 acres of straight autumn olive, prickly ash, some pine trees. Oh, was, was that an old pasture? Is yeah. That, I mean, that's generally, yeah, that's yep. where that stuff comes from. used to be from. an old pasture. It probably yeah. hasn't had cattle in it in maybe 15 years. Yeah. So it was just growing up to a rabbit wouldn't live there. Mm-hmm. But there's deer in and out of it on certain trails, so I went in there with the forestry drum mulcher head. I mowed one trail through the whole 40, but it does a basically the shape of a horseshoe yep. and goes from the bottom of the valley to the top and at the top of the valley is the tip of the horseshoe which is where the tree stand is at so you get deer running back and forth on that horseshoe because it's basically the only travel corridor they have in that valley and I just sat about 60 yards off what I call the top of the key and you'd get so many deer traveling through there so you're just basically creating a man-made travel corridor that they don't yep. really have any option but to take and the one I shot with my bull was, I think, October 30th, 8.30 in the morning. Yeah. And you had him on camera walking that. Yeah. Yeah, he was walking that uh, mulcher trail there. I did a rattling sequence, just a light rattle. Stood there for 10 minutes in the tree stand. Always kind of nice to be ready after you're rattling, obviously. But nothing showed up. Sat back down. Heard something behind me. Turned around. He was standing right there in the mulcher trail. He'd come up around, and so I stood up, got the bull ready, and then I looked behind him, and there was another buck coming. That ended up being the one I shot with my rifle mm-hmm. in the same area. So he, they kind of fooled around there. It's I'd like to have a tree stand closer to that trail, but it's about 60 yards off because that's the only tree I could get in. And there's a fence in between, so they didn't really want to jump that fence. They walked back into the brush, gave him the last, last effort snort wheeze. All of a sudden, the bigger one of the two pinned his ears back, turned around, and sidestepped. And oh, gosh. Bailed over the fence. Snort wheezed his ass in, too, huh? Yeah. That's what I did with my buck. Oh, it's fun. That's Crazy. Fun. It's insane. Anybody that doesn't use that snort wheeze or know about it as a last-ditch effort. Oh, yeah. It's... When they're leaving. Oh. Sometimes it's my first ditch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you got to toss everything you got. Yeah. It just If you get a dominant deer or just an aggressive deer, it sends them over the edge. Yeah, mine was, mine was similar. I'd seen my deer on trail camera a bunch, pegged him as a bully, you know, just mm-hmm. basic eight, just looked like he was always swelled up, always running deer off on trail camera. Deer. Yep. And right when we saw him, I was like, he's aggressive. And he's sitting there tearing up trees yeah. and snort weeds just oh, drug him in. Jesus. 
Yep, this one didn't pay attention to nothing. Came in, just hotter than a hornet. And of course, I couldn't shoot him because I had the tree right in between him and me as he was walking mm -hmm. up the trail to me. And he got about eight yards and stopped, looked directly into my eyes. <laughs> and then bounded off about 30 yards. And, oh, really? He yeah. actually bounded off, huh? Yep. Yeah, he bounded off on me, busted me. But for some reason, he did that. Did you draw when he was bounded? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I drew on him, but I only got a single pin. So I set on 20. Oh, wow. And he got out there about 30, 35, and I knew where to hold. He was kind of angling away. He was sent and slid right up behind his ribcage and out the front. Whew. Came over, and the other one. God, they're always going to stop like that, aren't they? It's just a matter if they're stopping. You hope. Yeah. Usually they stop about 60 or 70 yards. Right. So, for whatever reason. Start you got it, but you got to be prepared. If they start bounding like that, you got to draw yeah. back. Because there's a good chance they're going yeah. to. You can't just, you know, I've sat there before when something's bounded. And you got to be ready. Yeah, you got to. If you don't draw and they stop, then they turn around and see you draw. You're yeah, then they're gone. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You, you, you know, I don't want to say don't be too picky, but deer aren't going to die unless you put an arrow in them. Right. So, you know, try to make an ethical shot if you can, as much as you can and shoot your ball, practice hard. And... So any... Any uh, like lasting tips or strategies that um, maybe someone that's listening that isn't isn't uh, hiring out or doesn't have the large equipment that maybe you were doing um, back before you got all the equipment? Oh man, I was mowing clover plots with a push mower. Yeah, I've done it, but you know it doesn't doesn't take a million dollars. You can do a lot of work yourself if you're willing to do it and. There's deer out there to kill. You just got to be set up for it and be the guy that's got the food when nobody else does. Yeah. Yeah, and chainsaw doesn't cost that much. I no. mean, that, if you're if you're going to go improve a woods, that's all you really need. Yeah, maybe buy some chaps if you haven't ran one much. Or... Mm-hmm. <laughs> other than that. Hey, we're getting into the time. It's about springtime, spring plot time. We're going to be getting through the summer. Deer are starting to get their horns. It's going to be August soon. Oh, man. My God. One thing I do touch on, maybe I'd like to talk to you guys about this, too. What is your favorite time to be in a tree stand? Like, are you a last week of October? Or are you a first week in November? Last week of October. Bar none. Yeah. If it, like, if it hits November, <clears throat> I'm like, well, it's like I ain't killing one this year. Yeah, I agree 100%. Last week of October, and then the like tenth. fifth, yeah, like May, yeah, sure. Well, that's your day. Yeah, tenth is my day. Um, yeah, I'd say that second week in November, the first week yeah. in November. I killed one this year on the first week. I had one of the better days on November second I've ever had. Sure. But I think that was a that was a, a rare thing that that wasn't. Yeah, like yeah. like if you had to give me like give me the the calendar and say you have one day to hunt whitetails mm -hmm. this year. I'm going to drop my finger on October 31st. And I'm going to say this is my day. Yeah. Like I'm not going to look at the weather. Like, yeah, you weather know, what can't a, play a factor. Right. Because like, is, yeah. weather is a giant factor. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Obviously. It just but, shocks. I guess it shocks me how many bow hunters you talk to, and they just say, "Oh, I can't wait for that first week in November." Right. I, honestly, before I killed on November 2nd this year, I yeah. thought they were full of shit. Yeah. I was like, I have, ne I've never even had a good day really. No. Before November 7th. I think. And then November 7th, 8th, 9th, I used to just be so burnt out that I wouldn't hunt it enough. Mm -hmm. And then the last couple of years, I've realized, like, dude, if you just hang on, 
and stick with it between the seventh and fourteenth, that's your best time. I started noticing on trail cameras. It's like yeah. what the hell? You ever notice that? Like you pull your trail cameras down, or now I'm I'm running three cellular cameras now, and it's just how much more mature buck activity you see about October twenty sixth to. I am here to tell you it is farm dependent. I know of several farms that blow up with mature buck activity during daylight the, the first and second week of, of October. Yeah. First Insane. and second week? Yes. Insane. And then die off after that. Well, I think a cold front, first half of October, there's always going to be a, a cold yeah. frost. I will bet my, I'll bet the farm that the mature bucks that you've that you think that you're chasing one of them is going to be on a camera during daylight during that time so it you know it's dependent on what your farm and how your farm set up but yeah i think overall the 25th through the 31st if i had to pick one Mm -hmm. week on a deer that i'm hunting that's on the farm that's living on the farm that you're hunting 25th through the 31st that's your best shot i think deer are a little more workable during that period too Or, or opening day yeah i would agree you know yeah yeah. yeah, you're talking, you know, you're talking, you better have, yeah, you're talking a pattern buck. Yes. There. I mean, you right. killed one in September recently, a mature 25th, buck. 25th, yeah. Yeah, was, I mean, that one you had on that plot yeah, over and over again, Yeah, that was yeah? just it. I'll bet that's a 16th of an acre clover plot in the woods. Really? Yep. Jesus. Next to an apple tree. And he just, I knew he was in there. We were getting pictures of him in daylight in velvet, and he was hanging out really tight there, and I knew he was bedding close, and yeah, I went in there on a cold front, and stars align and bango yeah i think you gotta i mean i've crazy i run so many cameras now i've seen um not only your own hunting like what you see when you're in the woods but those mm-hmm. trail cameras just give you so much information and it's yeah it's september so opener in wisconsin september 15th usually or whatever something like that last two weeks of september green green food source mm-hmm. whether it's the green beans whether it's the green alfalfa you know and then after that, once October, it's like when October hits, you need to have that cold front. You need to have that big cold front. Like, and there's always one or two. Like the last two years, we've had a weird snow. Like October. Well, when did you shoot the mule deer? A couple years. Yeah, that's October, October 14th. 7th, 14th? 14th. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had like every fucking buck on my camera. I was at a wedding that weekend. Couldn't couldn't hunt. Came back and just was sick. Oh yeah. Um, that's how it goes. Well, that's why you don't go to fall weddings. Well, if, if if a friend's a friend, especially a hunting no. friend, don't no, have don't a fall go. wedding like that. Jake, you just don't go. Yeah, I, I think I was uh, in one last year. Well, what's your thought on October Law in general? I I, I think it's stupid. I think it's dumb. I, I yeah, if I don't you, know. yeah, a sixty degree October day, you're not gonna have fun. No, there's something there. I mean, it, I don't know whether I can justify it up as calling it a law, though. But yeah, there's always gonna be some sort of activity. Well, there's a transition between that that summer pattern in September where they're hitting the green, and yeah. there is something that happens because, and it's mainly I think due to the fact that bean fields are turning brown, and then alfalfa fields lose their palatability because they got cut. I don't know a month before that probably. Right. Um, corn. I mean, unless a cornfield just gets chopped or or cut. Uh, a lot of things can change activity, but acorns are dropping big time. Then you know. Yeah. There's, I think there's always explanations for why you're not seeing the, the deer, and most of it evolves around food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's just weird, though, talking about that. I wanted to see you guys' input on that, and I was glad to hear you had come up and say right away last part, week of October, because you hear so many guys talk about that first week of November. I think a lot of your more mature deer have already found one asterisk doe out there mm-hmm. and are locked. 
Yeah. Or just moving in between those, but makes it a little harder to have them come by the tree. God, I've, for whatever well, reason, that's seven through the eight million dollars, right? Seven through the fourteenth in November too is I've had yeah. a lot of good luck on. And we would have a lot of good luck 14th through the end of the November if we yeah. didn't have a giant gun season that took place. I think we would. Dude, the, I mean, the, it would change so much if we could have a, a similar season to Iowa. Like the T zone, like the holiday hunt and the T zone mm-hmm. ruins it. Like, I, I hate that hunt because, like, that's when deer finally settle back down from gun season and muzzleloader season. Yeah. And they're actually getting back to doing deer things, not just being nocturnal. And then just, boom, here's a T-zone again. Yeah. Like, bucks are starting to be seen in daylight again, but you can't kill them. Yeah. And I have a prediction, too, that I'm going to – I might change that answer to the last week of the season. Because this will be the first time – this will be the first time that I can put the food I want in the place I'm hunting. And it is you have the food there. Yeah. And you're the guy that's got it in the cold. You're going to have them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you need to have <laughs> the thing that you can sit in in that cold, too. Yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah, there's so many variables there that people just don't hunt them. I mean, I've never really hunted late season, number one, because the farms I have access to are pretty much deserts. By then, there's no deer to be found. Um, and number two, I mean. It's hard not to get burned out at that time. Either. It is. It is very hard. It's hard to get burned out in, in November. Yeah. I mean, if you if if we if we do what we're saying in October twenty fifth up to the first, you got a weekend of hunting hard because, I mean, we I've seen the noon bucks during that week too, mm-hmm. especially when you get in past the twenty seventh. Then it's like if it's a yeah. good day weather wise, you better almost sit there all day. Well, if you do a couple all day sits before November, wow. yeah, you're starting to get thin before November even hits, and then what? Because mm-hmm. November first through the seventh, I hate it despise it but what's the better like how do you hunt it you gotta sit there all day yeah but if you're not tagged out yet you're not gonna kill them if you're not there yeah so many variables oh yeah well that's why we do it yeah it's not easy it'll drive you nuts yeah i hate it yeah yeah by like by gun season i hate bow hunting yeah i hate it (laughs) I'm over this. Yeah, I've found that I get over it too, where it's like, um, where you aren't really even paying attention as, or you just, I don't know. It's hard to pick a bow back up after you had a gun in your hand for ten days. Mm-hmm. Um, Stress. Not to mention, if you kill a, I mean, yeah, if you kill, most of the time you do kill one before gun season, so you don't even have a tag. So, mm-hmm. you know, the weird years that you don't, especially in Wisconsin here, you, you don't even have a tag to hunt with. I'd like to see that. If you don't kill him with a gun, you have another tag with a bow. That would be incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that would give me motivation to not gun hunt. But I don't know. Gun hunting's nice tradition and good time to spend some It's time tradition. On. It's a tradition. And I appreciate it because it gets a lot of people out in the woods and yeah. a lot of money is being spent. But God, God I wish it do was I a... gather meat during gun season. Yeah, what did you do? Six deer this year? Five. Five from Wisconsin. <laughs> Mate in the freezer. Yeah. Well, Billy, we appreciate you coming on this That's show. Fun. We'll Thanks, have man. to Great bring time. you on again. I'll try to stop by another year. <laughs> <laughs> it's been about a year since we saw each other. Yeah. Yeah, it was It was probably first season last year. Yeah. My memory's still a little foggy. <laughs> cool. 
After the 17 gallons of uh, yeah. summer shanty you drank that night. It's not good. So if you're still listening, subscribe, follow, um, get a hold of us. Uh, if you if you need any management work done, we'll get we'll get Billy in t- uh, contact with you. So deer season's on its way. Get excited.